Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is an esteemed sports writer. He's an award-winning sports writer, and he now is the betting writer for The Score. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to talk all things NFL, football, and betting on today's show. Jackson Coward. Jackson, how's it going? Doing good, man. I appreciate the uh, the esteemed part of that intro. <laughs> of course. You have been well-traveled. You, I just found out uh, a couple hours ago looking things up and talking with you. You've written for the Charlotte Observer, San Diego Union Tribune, the Times Herald Record, which is my local paper around here, and Bet Chicago. So you've been well-traveled. I have, yeah. It's kind of taken me all over. Um, it's fun now. I work remote, so I can uh, I can make a stop at any of those and write wherever I want. But uh, yeah, it's been fun, man. I've covered all sorts of stuff. Now, you now are the betting reporter for The Score, and what kind of style writing does that entail as you kind of use betting to compile your articles? Yeah, it's a lot of fun, because like you mentioned, listing those out, um, that was a lot more kind of traditional reporting, uh, you know, what you would expect when you hear kind of a sports writer, sports reporters, the uh, the person on the you know, on the sidelines or in the locker room kind of getting info and then trying to cram a deadline. It's a lot different writing about betting because there's um, – it's a lot more kind of previewing what might happen and just using odds as a way to kind of tell a story about anything, if that makes sense. Like one of the cool things about um, working in sports betting, uh, writing about it, is that, like, there are odds for pretty much anything, especially in 2020 now. 2019 was such a massive year for sports betting and for normalizing it um, in just general sports culture. You can write about anything because there are odds for everything. So uh, anytime something comes out, like the Antonio Brown saga, um, you know, earlier this year, I remember that specifically, like, was such a wild story, right? Everybody's trying to figure out, you know, all right, how does it impact um, you know, the teams that he's, that he's leaving, that he's getting signed with, what's going on off the field, just all sorts of crazy aspects to it. But then it all affected the odds of everything, too. So, like, him getting signed by the Patriots meant that the Patriots were, were shorter favorites to win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, it affected the Raiders' chances of winning the Super Bowl. There were odds about whether he'll get cut before the end of the year. So it's, it's fun because it becomes a lot more... Um, you know, an entry point into any story going on in sports. But then it's also cool because it allows people who are into that to actually literally put their money where their mouth is, where, like, if you felt really good about the Vikings this week against the Saints, as I did, you don't just have to go around to people you know blabbering about, hey, I feel really good about the Vikings. You can actually do something about it. And what's fun about writing about stuff like that is I can kind of, um, you know, project the the confidence that I might have about some sort of situation in an actual tangible way, saying I think this is actually something that is worth betting on based on you know public perception, which is what the entire market is. So it's cool, man. It's been a totally totally different vibe than anything I've done before. Now you mentioned the Viking Saints game today. Obviously, you made out a winner. What was your kind of opinion on how today went? And did you see the Vikings winning from the start? And or was it more of just a bet based on how favored the Saints really were in this game? Yeah, I mean, part of it was the the Vikings were getting eight points in this game, which was just, I mean, these are two teams that are not that different, uh, in my opinion, in terms of, um, you know, the talent on the field, the coaching. Like, I just, I've been really high on the Vikings all year. I, I, had, uh, I have a ticket on them to win the Super Bowl from the beginning of the year. And I just, I think that they're a really well-constructed team. They have been for, for what, three, four years now. Their offensive line is really what, were ruined them last year, but um, 
in this game, it just didn't seem like there was that much separation between the two, and especially the way that um, you know the Vikings' offense has looked when they're fully healthy, and we just haven't seen that for gosh, what seven, eight weeks. So I definitely, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I felt you know 80% confident they'd win the game overall or something. I felt really good from a betting perspective that they were going to come within the number. But um, yeah, I mean, you saw it today. The defense has been, in my opinion, underrated all year, and they completely shut down the run game. And their secondary is talented. They have a bunch of guys back there that, um, you know, Harrison Smith, especially somebody all year who's, who's been pivotal, and he's just not somebody that people think about. But, uh, you know, you look at the offensive skill position players, but Daniel Hunter was huge today. I just think they're, they have so many guys on both sides of the ball, and Dalvin Cook is, is an absolute monster. I mean, he has, he has a Derrick Henry kind of effect in that Titans game in this one. But they're just... They're just good, man. When they can get Cousins in a comfortable situation where he can do what he did today, that huge throw to Thielen, no surprise, was a play-action pass. Um, I just think I think they could win the Super Bowl. I really, really do. I think uh, I like him against the, the Niners this week. Uh, they were getting seven, I think six and a half, seven points, depending on where you look. Uh, I like him on, on the number on that. I like their chances of winning that game outright, uh, especially because their run defense is, I think, going to factor huge against the Niners. I just think they're a good squad. I think they've been underrated all year. They have everything you would want. I don't see any glaring hole other than, I guess, Kirk Cousins, but I've just never really bought into the idea that he's this choker in, in prime time. I think he's usually played pretty well, and it's just the results haven't come, and, and today it did. See, one thing that stuck out to me about going into this game is a big thing that made me go towards the Saints was – yeah, there really is no hole on the Vikings, and there really isn't a huge hole, I guess, on the Saints either in my mind going through it. And looking at it, it was like, all right, well, Breeze is better than Cousins in playoffs mm-hmm. and experienced. And looking back at this now, Cousins is now going into next week against San Francisco, where you can make the case that he's better than Garoppolo in the postseason now because Garoppolo's mm-hmm. not proven in the postseason, and he's really not played the best this year. The defense has kind of carried him to the record that they have, and Raheem Mostart has burst onto the scene in an even bigger way than last year this year and been a big factor as well in the latter stretch of the season. And you could make the case that going into that next week's game, the Vikings actually have a better chance of winning that game than they had this game going into it because mm-hmm. Cousins is getting a lot more respect, I think, now that he kind of brought away that choker mantra and is now going to have a little more respect on his name as he goes in a matchup with Garoppolo, where the Vikings could very well win that game. You're correct. And after yeah. that, I yeah, don't know. But I don't know how far they'll go after that, but I don't know. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because it's a little bit of a role reversal where this week, it, um, I mean, I think the Saints roster is incredibly talented, but you could have made the argument coming into this week that you're right, Breeze was better than Cousins, but the, the surrounding cast of the Vikings might have been better than the Saints. I think you could make the opposite argument this week. I think the Niners have a better overall roster, but you're right, Cousins is playing really well. Um, I think, I mean, it's easy to say that Cousins is the X factor. Of course he is, but uh, his ability to play against that Niners front, I think is going to be crucial because today I think I saw that, uh, that that touchdown that he threw today, the game winner, was under pressure. It was only a second touchdown under pressure in 99 attempts this year. So, i.e., when you pressure Cousins, he's not going to beat you. Um and I think that's obviously going to be huge next week. If they can keep him clean against the Niners front, which has just been world-beating this year and incredible to watch, uh, if they can keep him clean, then that's then I think the Vikings are going to the NFC title game. But 
But if, if he starts kind of looking a little bit like Redskins Cousins or he, um, you know, the, whatever persona people have of him, uh, you know, the Niners are too good. They're not going to – if the Niners get an early lead, I don't think that the Vikings are going to come back. But uh, but if the Vikings can, they let Dalvin Cook do their thing and and, uh, and they don't have to put Cousins situations, dangerous situations against that pass rush, man, I think the Vikings could, could seriously go all the way if that's the case. Now, shifting gears a little bit to the AFC side of things, last night saw what could have very well been the end of the dynasty in New England. Brady's mm-hmm. contract's up this year. From a betting perspective and just an overall journalist perspective, where do you see Brady starting next season, be it a retirement, be it in New England, or be it somewhere else? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on him retiring just from, I mean, anything I've heard. What's kind of fun with stuff like this, especially if you're in my space in the um, you know the betting writing world is this is all speculation right we have no idea you can't watch any tape on where Brady's going to be you, can, you just have to you know dig into the rumors online and, and you know find the reporting that you trust um, the reporting that I've seen that I try to trust I don't think that he's retiring but I God, I don't think he's coming back I just I think the way that he was talking about last night and that kind of weird cryptic press conference when he was saying, you know, I've really enjoyed my time with the Patriots, and, you know, my career here has been better, you know, than anybody else here. It just, it, it just came across a little weird, and maybe some of that's posturing. Maybe he's, you know, just trying to get leverage on the podium, but um, there's been so much smoke for, what, 12, 18 months now that he's leaving. Um, so if I had to bet, I think he, I, I, I think he might leave, but I have no idea where he'd go. Like, you look at, there's no easy you know, built situation. I would say if Garoppolo wasn't in San Francisco, that would be the runaway favorite, you know, with the connection that he had being from the area and all that. But with without that being an option, like, you know, the Chargers is the one that everyone's kind of floating around. With I think there's one people are overlooking. What's that? I think there's one situation people are overlooking that is not getting talked about a lot that could be the perfect destination for him. Indianapolis, Colts, Frank Reich, really I, good roster. That was one of them, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's one that I think could make a lot of sense, especially, um, you know, Brady's played with, I don't want to say a patchwork offensive line because he's had good players in and out of there, but, you know, he's never played behind a line uh, with the talent of that Colts, that Colts roster, obviously. And uh, Reich, it seems like he'd be a good, system, a good fit in Reich's system. He'd have T.Y. Hilton would be, you know, I, I guess him or, or Edelman if his best receiver that he would have played with since Moss, but... It does seem like an interesting situation. Do you think he would go there, though, from a legacy perspective? It, it it would certainly be an odd fit. I feel like because of all the rumblings this year with Indianapolis being, I mean, if Andrew Luck didn't leave, there was real chance. I think Indianapolis could have been one of the top four teams mm-hmm. in AFC and maybe all of football this year. They're well-suited to go on a championship run, I think, next year. I think Jacoby Brissett really held them down this year. But I do think that... Belichick, with everything with Belichick and Brady, I think a lot of the drama from Garoppolo is still there, and I think that Belichick's kind of ready to prove that he can win without Brady, and I think Brady's ready to prove he can win without him. And if he's going to leave, this is the time. And if he's going to go to a situation, I don't see him... I mean, LA is a good team, Chargers, but I can't see... I don't know, the supporting cast around him versus Indianapolis and the coaching perspective. Frank Reich's an offensive-minded coach. Anthony Lynn's a defensive-minded coach. In that sense, I think he'd have more leeway and room to work with, plus that offensive line in Indianapolis. I 
I could see it from a legacy perspective being appealing to him to leave. And plus, the whole Josh McDaniels thing, there's been so many rumblings that he's leaving this year. you got to think that that's been Brady's guy over the past couple years. If he's leaving, it's got to be for good reason. Man, it's funny to think about if McDaniels had taken that Colts job and he had just, like, held it down Mm -hmm. and then Brady comes, you know, what, once years later, that would have been fascinating. Now, where could you see Josh McDaniels going this offseason? There's been a lot of... Well, I mean, there's vacations to him being everywhere, essentially, but uh, the Browns is is one that I found interesting. Like, you know, if you look back into it, dating, I think, uh, you know, back to the last time, um, I'm not sure if it was last year or the last time the job was open before that, um, where he was, you know, quote, ecstatic for the opportunity. Um, you know, I think that was one of the local papers that reported that. I wish I remember the name, but, um, you know, that he has been circling the Browns as a spot that he's interested in. It certainly seems like the Browns are interested in him. I could see that. Um, I know the Panthers have been very interested in him going back for a while, and from what I can tell, from I, you know, I have, I have people that I know that are close to the team. If they, if he was interested in that job, he's the coach of the Panthers. From what I can, you know, from what I can tell, um, I don't know if that's the job that he would want, but um, I think he's probably priority number one in Carolina. I would guess it's one of those two teams. Uh, if I had to guess, I think the Browns probably would be the better bet. I'm not sure that there's another coach that's screaming Cleveland as much as McDaniels is, uh, but I think it's, it's down to one of those two spots if he leaves, which it certainly looks like he's going to. So, hypothetically, McDaniels ends up in Cleveland. Who do you see leading Carolina next season? It's funny because when you look at these coaching openings, McDaniels, if he's you know, which it seems like he's going, he's getting one of them. McCarthy's mm-hmm. getting one of them. Um, so it's sort of just shuffling around the pieces of who's going where. So if McDaniels doesn't end up in Carolina, I think McCarthy has a, a massive shot. We're all still trying to figure out why did the Panthers can Rivera when they did. And, you know, one of the logical reasonings for it would be to get an early jump on unemployed or college coaches. Well, there hasn't been many rumblings of college coaches in Carolina, so it certainly seems like it might have been a McCarthy Paul McCarthy move to get rid of Rivera early, uh, which would make enough sense if he's there. Those are really the two. I think the enemy, you know, potentially could go there and do some interesting things with that offense and with McCaffrey. But um, if McDaniels ends up in Cleveland, my money would be on McCarthy ending up in Carolina. Um, you know, and then the Giants job, it seems like Matt Rule and, and the Giants have been flirting for weeks now. Um, you know, he's the, he's the one that I would bet there. That would be the clean solution, all the puzzle pieces mm-hmm. fit. Something tells me it won't be quite that clean, but if, if one domino falls, I think that's the way that it would go with the other team. Something, I don't know, I think maybe Mike McCarthy, I think he's now met with the Panthers twice, correct? I believe so, yep. So he's met twice now. Carolina, obviously you said, seems to prioritize McDaniels over McCarthy at this point in time, or maybe they're neck and neck and they want to hear from McDaniels first. Mm-hmm. Post the McDaniels yeah, meeting, think, yeah. it could be this week you could see a real solution in the McCarthy and Panthers thing if they say, all right, McDaniels doesn't want to come here, let's lock down McCarthy while we can, but I don't know. Yeah, and what'll be interesting is the Cowboys are coming in here and they could poach any one of these guys, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I saw something the other day that suggests that the Cowboys are interested in an experienced coach, which would kind of go against the smoke that we've seen at Meyer and Lincoln Riley and, and guys like that. If they want an experienced coach, McCarthy's sitting right there, you know, and he's done this whole campaign of 
you know, you bring in me and you bring in a whole staff and, you know, we're, we're tailor-made to take a roster, which there's no roster that would be better to do that with than the Cowboys. So maybe they come in here and they poach McCarthy. Maybe they come in and they poach McDaniels, who's been the hottest. It feels like he every time he comes out to be available, he's the hottest coach. And then, you know, he, he'll leave the Colts at the altar and he'll he'll drive the Broncos to the ground and people forget about it. I'm not saying he won't be a good coach, but um, but if he did that, have that luster to the Cowboys, they could come in and pluck McDaniels, and this whole thing could be different. So, um, you know, perhaps the Panthers leave with neither of those coaches and they go with Biennemi or, uh, or they go with somebody that we're not even thinking of. I saw McVay's brother was uh, – uh, not McVay, uh, LaFleur's brother was one of the potential candidates for that job. I don't know if we know who some of these guys are going to be that take some of these jobs, especially if Matt Rule uh, stays and, you know, perhaps McDaniels stays. We're going to see some names that we haven't even considering. I think at this point in time, I, if McDaniels doesn't go to Cleveland, I feel like the enemy or Robert Sal from San Francisco would be the mm-hmm. other two options just because I think if they're not going to go with McDaniels, you got to go with two other guys who kind of have somewhat of a league-wide reputation where the enemy's built himself a reputation now studying under Reed for the past or two years, three years as, well, two years mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, and he's been on the staff for a while, and then Robert Sal, who's coached an incredible defense this year and they need a coach with a good reputation following everything with Freddie Kitchens this past year so I think they'll go that route (laughs) but where Carolina goes with Mike McCarthy but Dallas is really the wild card here because it really seemed like Lincoln Riley, Urban Meyer, um, one of them are going to get one of these jobs or that job or maybe the Cleveland job but if they want to coach with NFL experience Mike McCarthy's off the board where do they go? Yeah, the Cowboys one is interesting. From a betting perspective, um, you know, when they opened the odds, uh, I, I think it was a couple days ago, it was after the uh, Ed Werder report is when they finally hung odds on who the Cowboys had hired. It was kind of just a mishmash of names. It was all the big names that you would expect, but nobody really had a lead. And then all of a sudden today, Lincoln Riley was like the heavy favorite to take that job. Um, just kind of out of nowhere. So I don't know, maybe maybe folks know something that we don't. I haven't seen any real smoke there. Um but, you know, we haven't heard anything from Lincoln Riley pretty much about anything, which maybe that means we haven't heard anything about the Cowboys' particular candidates either, so perhaps that kind of silence on both sides speaks louder than any sort of smoke that we could see. But um, you would certainly think that the Cowboys need to win the press conference with this hire, right? It feels like they would go with somebody who's not going to be a retread, um, you know, is not going to be somebody that's kind of an underwhelming, unknown hire. You would think they got to hit big on this, and with the roster they have, they would be able to hit big because who's not going to want to take that job? Mm-hmm. Um, so Lincoln Riley would be interesting. I think we all would want to see that. Uh, I also think they could just promote Chris Richard. I mean, he's interviewing for the uh, for the Giants job. He's a well-respected with that organization. I'm surprised there's not a little bit more traction with him taking that job, um, you know, having led the defense to the heights that he has in the past few years. But, uh, yeah, that one, you're right. It's a total wild card that could – really screw with this entire coaching carousel. I know recently Lincoln Riley had a five-star recruit on class of 2021. I think it was mm-hmm. something Vandegrift immediately just decommitted, and he seemingly yep. was the guy Lincoln with Riley was going to groom to be the next heir to Rattler this coming year and then after Hertz, who was leaving this year. And it seemed like he was next in line to be the next Lincoln Riley product, and all of a sudden he just decommitted and Lincoln Riley's been really silent as you said for, since the Oklahoma's 
disastrous loss against LSU, and everything's been quiet on Dallas's front. And it seems like, yeah, Lincoln Riley, he would be a great fit there, and he's it. everything anybody's heard, he's the dream candidate on both sides. Jerry likes him, and he has interest in being the Dallas Cowboys head coach if he's going to leave anywhere to be a head coach. And it seems like almost too good to be true for Dallas to make this happen. If Lincoln Riley ends up there, do you think he'll have success? It's an interesting stylistic fit because I think, I mean, yeah, from everything that we can tell, Lincoln Riley is not just some sort of college-specific mind. Like, the, the, the concept that he's run at Oklahoma has obviously produced pro-style talent, pro-ready quarterbacks, which is what, you know, if you could produce a pro-ready quarterback multiple times in college, like, that's, that speaks louder than anything for a college coach. The one thing that I find interesting about the direction of this hire going with a, an offensive guy, especially after, you know, we forget Jason Garrett, you know, bumbled along for, for so long, for eight years now, we forget just how hot of a hire he was. He was this McDaniels-Riley type of profile um, you know, kind of the young, hot offensive coach when they when they hired him. Um, it's interesting to me that we just assume that they're going to go with that offensive guy, especially because of how lauded Kellen Moore has been this entire year as an offensive line on that staff. You know, it feels like when you know kind of where your bread's buttered in that coaching staff, you, you want to complement that with the other side of the ball. Um, you know, months ago, to me, it made sense someone like Robert Sala would, would be a good fit for that job just to – it makes the most of defensive talent, which has kind of been the underachieving side, you know, while, while the offense has done what it did this year, uh, you know, in spurts. So that's the only thing that holds me back a little bit is finding somebody who would be a better complement to the talent that you already have on your coaching staff and Kellen Moore if he is, you know, what we think he is and what he's shown at different stretches this year. That aside – go for Lincoln Riley. Somebody's going to take him at some point, whether it's this year, whether it's in the future. Some team is going to pay him a ton of money, and he's kind of the next great, you know, college experiment. Is he going to work? There's no better place for him to try that than Dallas. Now, the next kind of big thing, and you touched on it a little, was the Giants and Matt Rule. Is Matt Rule going to leave? Last year, it seemed like he was a lock for the Jets job for a day or two there, and then he didn't leave. Uh to the Jets because the Jets wanted Todd Monken and Greg Williams to be his coordinators and he wanted to bring his coordinator from Baylor, so or Phil Snow from Baylor. And seemingly that would be the route he would go with the Giants. He would want to bring Phil Snow with him, get a or him call the defensive plays or bring in a defensive coordinator with a good reputation. He's a program rebuilder in college. He's he rebuilt Temple, he's rebuilt Baylor. Could you see him fitting really well with the Giants in general? And then how do you think he's going to mesh with Dave Gettleman, who's not the best general manager for coaches to work with sometimes? Yeah, I was, um, you know, I, I briefly uh, in, in Charlotte covering the Panthers, and, you know, I've been kind of around. I, I went to school in North Carolina, so I was aware of the Gettleman era in, uh, in Carolina and Charlotte. And, uh, yeah, not the best – Best reviews, best remarks for him from uh, you know people close to the team who kind of see how things work on a daily basis. So I think a lot of the smoke with anti-Gettleman sentiment around the Giants is is founded. Um, so that might be one of the things that's keeping him from committing to this job because you're right, he's he's circled New York, whether it's the Jets or the Giants. He's obviously interested in an NFL job. He's obviously interested in being in New York to coach. 
Um, if you look at foundational building blocks for the, the type of team that you'd want to take over, if you're a Daniel Jones believer, you have your quarterback. Uh, I would hope everybody's a Saquon Barkley believer at this point. Um, you know, that's, those are good building blocks to start for somebody like Rule who, look, give him a couple of good pieces and then let him fill in the gaps in free agency in the draft, like you mentioned, kind of the way he would fill the gaps in Temple and a Baylor. Um, it is interesting to me that we're still waiting on this Rule thing when everybody's just kind of waiting for the announcement to happen and we're not really getting anything. To me, that would indicate that this is a, a Rule-related hang-up versus the Giants. So... I would think the Giants are probably fine with whatever Rule is trying to bring in there. They they know the script from what he did last year, um, you know, with, with the Jets wanting to bring in his guys, and that didn't work. I doubt that this is going to be a blindsiding scenario where the Giants are suddenly surprised that Rule wants to bring his guys if that is the case. So I would think that that's – if they're this interested in Rule, Gettleman's probably already checked off that box and said that that's fine, and I would guess we're waiting on Rule if he takes it. That'd be great. It's great when the Giants are good again. I think it's fun. There's, you know, you have the the, the New York media, quote unquote, bleeds into the national media of us circling the Giants. They have big personalities and they have big stars. It'd be fun if the Giants are good again and the rule can rebuild them. I'm just, I'm not sold that that he's going to take it because of how long this is taking. But we'll see. I mean, if anybody's going to going to take this job in the next couple of days, it's going to be rule. Otherwise, they're going to have to start over. If rule's not the guy, something tells me it's the enemy. Just because offensive-minded background, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley seem to be at the forefront of all the plans. He would work well with them, and he'd probably be able to bring in a really good defensive coordinator. Is there a guy for you that sticks out as the second choice to Matt Rule in New York? Yeah, I think it's either Matt Rule or they completely not start over because they're obviously doing interviews, but this is the job I think that has the clearest favorite and the clearest gap between the favorite and the other one. The enemy is one that I was going to mention with the Giants. I think that one obviously makes sense. Um, I think we're not mentioning Greg Roman in all these conversations. Um, just, you know, perhaps the timing might not work great with him knowing that they got to wait on the Ravens to be done. Um, but he's obviously should be considered heavily for one of these jobs if he's willing to take it. Um, yeah, and, uh, and Wink Martindale, you know, with his kind of combo package, there was a, the rumblings that he might bring Joe Brady with him. I thought that was certainly interesting at the very least. Um, so I don't know whether that's Giants-related or just one of these jobs, but the enemy seems like outside of the usuals, right, the McDaniels, mm-hmm. uh, you know, McCarthy, Matt Rule, the enemy seems like that next name. So if it is going to be that easy, it's just sliding the next guy, I would be with you that the enemy would probably be that guy. So kind of a... Broad question, but who your shocking playoff, or maybe in the AFC, maybe in the NFC, what's in the next few weeks the big upset? The one that's the, maybe it was today with Minnesota, but the Minnesota Miracle, I guess, of this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing that's happened so far has surprised me, which might just sound nice in hindsight, but I really did. I mean, we've talked about it. I really did think the Vikings had a great shot to win outright. I actually thought the Titans would win outright uh, against the Patriots. I thought, I mean, that was, you couldn't have drawn up a better matchup um, to beat the Patriots than what you had with what the Titans have done. Um, I'm not going to I'm not gonna come out and say that the Titans are going to beat the Ravens because I don't think that will happen, uh, but I don't think we should be shocked if it does happen. I think what the Titans are doing um, it's easy to dismiss because the two guys that are leading them have been, you know, much maligned their entire careers and very inconsistent. And so we keep waiting for that kind of regression. But I don't think that 
that Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill are regression candidates on a game-to-game basis because I think what the Titans are doing is actually really impressive. If you look at Tannehill throughout his entire career, he's been really impressive when he's clean in the pocket, right? And if you look back in his stats with the with the Dolphins, not every year is great, but the best years of his career, he's actually been a well above average quarterback uh, when he's clean in the pocket, when he's not pressured. This year, he's the best in the league. He's the best in the league for passer rating when he's clean in the pocket, uh, but he has one of the slowest deliveries in the league. So what the Titans have been able to do is they've been able to keep him clean. They've been able to give him time in part because of Derrick Henry's success freezing the linebackers. It's just incredible what Arthur Smith has been able to do. So I don't think that that's just going to suddenly go away. I think the Ravens' defense is, uh, has really punched above their weight class this year. I think what Wink Barndale has done is incredible. They've rebuilt that team basically halfway through the year. But they're a very opportunistic defense, and they're going to try to fluster Tannehill, I think. Um, and if Tannehill is able to stay clean back there and he's looking at fewer guys that he has to go against, He's able to make those throws. He's got a great arm. I think people don't realize how good of an arm Tannehill has when he has time. So that's a matchup that I think could be another one of those, you know, the Titans matched up really well with the Patriots. I think the Titans match up particularly well with the Ravens. Um, and then we've already talked about it, so I won't go into it as much. But the Vikings against the Niners, I think that could absolutely, uh, I don't want to call it a coin flip game, but it's, it's more 60-40 Niners than I think it's, you know, 75-25, which people might think it is. Uh, just because of how good the Vikings are against the run and how good their offense is when they get ahead of schedule. So what Tennessee has done has been absolutely phenomenal this year. You know, bringing in Tannehill draw a lot of or drew a lot of questions in the offseason because of the compensation they gave up for him with Mariota at the helm. Mm-hmm. But Arthur Smith taking over as offensive coordinator for LaFleur, he's been really impressive this year. He's done really good with Tannehill at the helm and like you said, creating that clean pocket for him with how well Derrick Henry has run this year and Mike Rabel has really blossomed in the last few weeks into a guy who I think deserves a little bit of coach of the year consideration because of how seeming or seamlessly he really dealt with that quarterback transition from Mariota to Tannehill and there wasn't a lot of drama around it it was just a clean switch and then Tannehill balled out and now they're here they are in the divisional round of the playoffs and a real contending team to maybe make a run at the Super Bowl this year. So with yeah, that said, incredible. I think I think if the, the Coach of the Year award was given at the end of the year, mm-hmm. uh, you know, once the playoffs started, Rabel would be right up there. I don't think he would get it over someone like Harbaugh, but um, with what he's done and then leaving that playoff win, you're right. I was skeptical of the Rabel hire initially, and he's been incredible. So with all that said, in the end. Do you feel confident in your Super Bowl prediction? Do you believe that Minnesota Vikings will hoist the Lombardi Trophy this year? I don't think they will. I think if I had to bet, which I have bet, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I had the Ravens. I bought the Ravens at forty to one this offseason. I just thought there was it didn't make any sense that the Ravens were being seen as sort of a latter half team based on the roster composition that they had. Did I think that it would go the way that they did uh, this year with Lamar? Not at all. I, I did I did bet on Lamar Jackson win the MVP, which should be nice in a couple of weeks. Um, but that was more just a value thing than anything. And he's proven all of the doubters wrong. And I, I doubted that he would be able to do this. So I think the, I think the Ravens are the safe bet. I think they're um, they're absolutely as good as they've shown this year. Um, like obviously, I just said I think they could lose to the Titans, which says more about the volatility of the NFL than anything. But if I had to bet on one team, it's the Ravens. If I had to bet on kind of a, a longer shot, I would go with the Vikings. I think they're the they're the they have the biggest gap between how talented they are and how talented people think they are. And I'm not sure what that is 
about the Vikings. I think it's just a lot of Kirk Cousins doubt. But the, the Vikings are an incredible team. Um, so I think I think one of those two teams would be the ones that I would be targeting. Um, the Ravens are really the only one out of the AFC. The Chiefs could win, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on it. And I'm not not a believer in the Texans. Uh, and then the NFC, my pick is the Vikings. I really do think that um, you know I, I, if they beat. San Francisco this week. I think they're beating whoever they beat on the other side. I'm, I'm not, not big on the Packers or the Seahawks. So my final question for you, I ask every guest this, and it is a very big question to answer. What is the legacy you want to leave when you're done with your career and everything's done? Hmm, what is the legacy I want to leave? That is a big question. Um, you know what, I think it's... Um, it's a little bit different than some of the work that I'm doing now, which I really, really enjoy. Like, I, I enjoy this job at The Score more than anything. Uh, shameless plug, company man, but The Score is, is one of the best um, companies I can imagine working for. They've been incredible. Uh, but one, some of the stuff that I did a little bit earlier in my career, uh, I wrote about, you know, I wrote profiles about people and kind of shedding light on people's lives. I think what's really cool about um, that and about what I do now uh, in, in a little bit of a different way is, being able to kind of frame stories and tell stories in a way that some people might not even see in their own life. Like, um, you know, when you look into things as much as a journalist does, and, uh, and you probably know this as well as anyone too, when you're finding all of the pieces in somebody's life or in some sort of situation, right, you could even relate it to a game. When you're trying to find all of the pieces, um, you can sometimes find more than what the person involved is even aware of in their own life. So I think some of the coolest stuff that I've been able to do is learn about people's lives, find the threads that really define their life, and then put those together to tell a story that they they didn't even really see in themselves, and it can kind of unlock something in them. So um, you know, it's, it's obviously a little heavier than, uh, than talking about whether the Vikings or the Ravens are going to win this weekend, but um, I think just being able to communicate people's stories like that, being able to frame things, uh, you know, show a little bit of the beauty in people's lives that they weren't even able to see just because I kind of knew what to ask and knew the right places to dig. Well, thank you very much, Jackson, for coming on. It's been a fun talk about football and all things about it, and I want to give you this opportunity to plug social medias, plug the score, plug whatever you want to plug before we close out. Yeah, uh, social media at djacksoncowart, C-O-W-A-R-T. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, check out my stuff. Uh, check out Tom Casal, Alex Gorgias, uh Alex Moreto. Check out our stuff on The Score uh, and, and everybody's stuff on The Score, but particularly the stuff we're doing with betting is pretty cool. We really we really opened up the team this year, getting the four-man team, and uh, it's been awesome. I think we're – personally, I think we're doing a hell of a job with, uh, with everything we're doing through the NFL, uh, you know, into the NBA, MLB, soccer, Mexican League Baseball. We, we got all of it. So uh, check out The Score, and uh, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun time. Thank you very much again for coming on. Once again, I want to thank Jackson Cower for taking the time to come in Ambitious. It was a lot of fun and sit down and chat about everything going on in the wild, hunter season of the NFL, the playoffs, coaching carousel, and more. Once again, I want to remind everybody as well that we have merch now. Head over to at Ambitious Podcast on Instagram or at Ambitious with DP on Twitter and DM us, and we will get you some merch for the prices that we include when you DM us. 
And reminder that you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Make it a great 2020 and include us in that, hopefully. Happy New Year, ambitious listeners, and be back here next week for another phenomenal episode.